Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Before we go to today's message, we want to invite you to check out our website, www.harvestagokc.com. Again, that's harvestagokc.com. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. Well, today is going to be a fun day. I'm looking forward to um, our message today and, and communion a little bit later. Today we're going to start a, um, we're calling it basically the words series that we've been in as a theme. It's a big theme that kind of overreaches um, the, the, the teaching series that we're in. And today we're starting a mini series, okay, inside of that. Uh, it's called Take God at His Word, is the, the series that we're going to do for about the next five weeks. It's a, a message series uh, about our finances. Yes, we're going to talk about money. No, I'm not going to take another offering. Okay? So why a series on finances? Why talk about it? Is the church having a hard time financially? No, not at all. That's not it. Uh, am, am I going to make more money if you give more? No, not at all. My, my salary is set by the board and is on no type of a percentage, so I have nothing to do with that. The only reason I would ever preach a message or a series of messages is because I want to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so the Lord has put this in my heart for some time, and I trust that he knows what you need much more than I do. And so we've prayed, we've fasted, we've believed that the Lord has spoken to our hearts. And so for the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to talk about finances in a very practical way, and we're going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in that. Uh, secondly, that I want to say about this and why we would talk about this is I've, I've observed these principles in my own life. I've seen them in action and seen God's blessing in every way. And so I want that to be proven out in your life the same way that it has in mine. I want you to live in God's blessing and in God's favor. So today we're going we're gonna to do that. Now, we've got um, a, a little booklet that we're going to place in everybody's hands. If we could have some, uh, are the ushers back yet? There you go. Okay, great. We've got a little booklet we're going to place in everybody's hands. Um, it looks like this. It's called Take God at His Word. It is written by um, a guy named Dr. Craig Hood. It's simple and small, okay? And so they're going to pass these out. You guys can go ahead. Um, we're going to pass these out one per family. One per family, not one per person. Everybody understand? If you got that, say, I got it. Thank you. One per family. Um, we've, we've only got enough for one per family, and Gary's going to make sure you only get one per family. And so are these guys, okay? One, one per family. Um, if you try to take one per person, he'll take one back. Okay. Um, this book is hands down the best book. It's four chapters, folks. It's four chapters. Okay? It's, it's not heavy reading. This is light reading material for sitting out on your back patio. Okay? Uh, it's, it's an easy read. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. And in my, in my uh, opinion, I think this is probably the best book um, on finances that's short and brief and written straight, straight to the point that we're going to find. Um, so as they're passing these out, I want to tell you just a little bit about them, okay? So hopefully you can multitask because I want to give you some instructions on what to do with these, okay? The, the sermon series is going to coincide with the book. Okay, so as you're, as you're getting these, I need you to multitask, okay? If you've not gotten one and the ushers haven't gotten to you, just kind of wave. They'll get it to you. It's no problem. So here's the thing with this book. Each week, um, uh, there are four weeks, it's a five-week series. Four weeks are going to come from this, okay? So the thing is, not come from this. It's going to go hand-in-hand hand with it. I want to make sure we, we get that straight. So here's what I need you to do, okay? I need everybody. Can you all follow instructions? 
Like, now, wives, don't go pointing out your husband, okay? I know we, we never follow instructions. That's why we rely on you to make sure that we do. But here's what we need to do, okay? We need you to read one chapter a week. Simple enough, right? One, one chapter. No big deal. As you read this one chapter together as a family, the ideal way to do this. Everybody got one? Oh, awesome. Thank you guys very, very much. Give our ushers a hand real quick. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, the reason I want you to read one chapter a week is this, okay? I want you to turn off the TV. I want you to set your devices down. I know some of you are looking at me like, we don't have that problem. Okay, when Wheel of Fortune comes on, I'll find you at your house and know what you're doing, all right? We need to put, put down the devices, make sure the kids set them aside. It'll be okay. I want you to take this, and I want you together as a family to read one chapter a week, okay? Do it sitting around the dinner table, one night, another night, talk about what it is that you, you got from it, okay? Discuss some of the ideas. In the back of each chapter, there are some discussion questions to help you out. So read the chapter as a family, and then as a family, also, uh, you can do it the same night, you can do it another night, but either way, the more time you spend around the dinner table together, the better. So then discuss what you've learned, what, what it is you've gotten from it, and take some time to pray about your family's stewardship together, Take some time to pray about it. It matters, okay? Now, you don't have to do all, of, all three of these things in one setting. Please don't feel like that's the, the pressure you need to be under. It's not. Uh, spread it out. For our family, Monday nights are going to be the night that we're going to read this together as a family because Tuesday night is crazy in my house with uh, kids' activities. So Monday night, we'll sit together and we'll read it. Uh, Thursday night, when we come back together for dinner, uh, we will uh, make the children... When we come to the dinner table at our house, you're not allowed to have a device anyway. And that counts for me and Rachel as well. Um, we set them off to the side to make sure they're turned off. We turn the TV off so that we can have time as a family. So then on that, that second night, we're going to come together and we're going to talk about what it is they've got. I want my kids to understand stewardship principles from God's word. And as much as we teach them, and they get it over there, it's great, teach it. But what happens is it gets caught from their families. If you and I, as, as the parents and as the leaders, grandparents, if they see us modeling what we're going to talk about, the chances of them doing it and putting it in practice and believing in it skyrocket. Our children are destined to repeat the patterns of their parents unless they purposefully choose not to. That's good and bad. If you have a bad habit of gossiping, guess what your children are going to do? They're going to be gossipers. If you have a great habit of being uh, faithful and, and good with your finances, guess what the chances of your children doing are going to be? They're going to be faithful and good with their finances. We want you to get this, okay? So again, this is going to be a really practical thing. This is the only time we're going to talk about this. We will make the, the service from today, uh, we'll make it a video so that you can go back and watch if anybody misses it during the week. So you can be able to catch this later during the week online as well, okay? So you don't have to do this all, all at one time, but I do want us all to get it and go through it as a church family. Now, some of you are saying, well, but, but you know what? I already got this. Um, I've had this down. I've been a tither for 50 years. Awesome. Thank God that you've gotten it. What a fantastic story that you've learned to live in the principles and in the position for God's blessing to be yours. So over the next few weeks, you're going to hear some of the same things that you're going to say, praise the Lord, we get it. But there's a whole younger generation that maybe needs to hear it again. 
There's a younger generation that we need, to, we need to be reminded of what God's word says so that we can grow up in it. There's an older generation that's never heard it, that they need to be reminded this is what God words, God's word says. So as we get to it, we're going to talk through this, okay, because we want to take God at his word. That's what we've talked about every week in the tough teachings of Jesus is that we've got to take his word, take him at his word so we can put it into practice. Now, I want to share, um, I want to share a little bit of my story with you briefly in, in this whole scenario, the whole series has been a look at the hard things that Jesus said. We've talked about forgiveness. We've talked about how to deal with our enemies and what God's word says about it. We, we've, we've handled some pretty tough subjects. And this is going to be no different for some of us. Because, see, my story when it comes to finances is not necessarily the greatest one. I, I learned to tithe as a kid. My parents um, were, were fantastic at it, and they instilled that in me. I still remember the days when my parents would come in and say, Hey, great, you got birthday money. Where's your tithe? And I thought my dad was just being mean and taking my money. As a kid, I didn't understand. As I grew, I understood and I got it. In my teenage years, uh, I, I was obnoxious about it because as a teenager, like every teenager we know, we think we know it all. What did I need my parents' opinion for? And I thought I, I had, had it down. I understood it. And so um, I, I would even become almost arrogant and braggadocious in, about what I was doing and how I was given more than 10%. Bless, and so then you kind of tell people, well, then it kind of makes it a moot point because Jesus said it's supposed to be something that we do privately. So it's not about how much. When I got into my, my college years, uh, it was different. I was in master's commission, which you, couldn't, you weren't allowed to work. Now, how many of you know if you have no job and no money coming in, when you do get money, typically the first thing we don't think of is, here, let me write my tithe check out of that. You think, yes, I can eat for the next week. Not realizing that the source was not the people in my church back home who were supporting me, but it was absolutely 100% that it was God's hand providing for me once again. So I got off, off balance in, in my giving. I got off balance in my, my tithing and making sure I was doing what I was supposed to do. I started to struggle with the idea that eh, I only have enough to get by. Only, tithing was something that in that moment I struggled with. And I could talk about it. I could tell you all about it. But I struggled with what it means and how it works. When Rachel and I got married, that struggle still continued until that struggle was confronted. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs 26 that the wounds of a friend can be trusted. We don't like that, right? But sometimes we need a good friend to tell us, hey, you're wrong. And to correct us in that. And I remember we were, I had not made our, our financial stewardship a priority. And I remember one day I walked into, uh, into the boss's office. And he said, hey, shut that door. And he talked to you saying, okay. So I shut the door, which is not uncommon. Normally it was about, hey, do you want to go play golf later? Today was a little bit different. I remember sitting there. And he says, now listen, I'm asking you this as your friend. Because I love you and I care about you. Does your giving record reflect your tithe for the year? And my old heart just sank. You talk about getting called on the carpet. And I said, no, sir, it doesn't. He said, I'm only saying this because I want God's best for your life. This is not an employer-employee conversation. We are not there yet. As someone who loves you and cares about you deeply, I want you to know I want God's best for your life. And if you keep doing this, it's never going to happen. You tie God's hands. Okay. We won't have this discussion again, he said. I, I trust you that we won't because the next time it won't be very fun. And I said, I understand. 
Though that conversation was painful, I'm grateful still to this day that Mike had the courage to have it with me. Because that's not an easy convo to have. But that changed the course for things in our lives. And we changed things. And by we, I mean me. Because in our family, I take care of our budget. Now, in your family, however you work it, that's fine. But in our family, I was the one that was responsible for it. And uh, I got things out of whack. But we, we put them back in order. And we began to see God's blessing begin to really overtake our life. But again, just like we've talked about how that, that there's a test that comes with our giving, that we pass that test every time we get paid, sometimes down the road we slip up because things that the Lord has dealt with us about, we don't always continue to prioritize. And, and I began to not keep that as a priority. In fact, I began to let some, some debt get out of hand. And I won't, I won't go into all of the story there because there's way too much to that side of it. But we found ourselves behind a mountain of debt due to some, some business decisions that we made. We've always had a, we call it a sixth-day project. You know, the Bible says you should work for six days and rest on the seventh. So we've always had a sixth-day project, something else going on, a little side thing happening. And we allowed some debt to get out of hand. I, I, by we, I mean me. I allowed some debt to get out of hand in our life to the point that we were wondering how we were even going to make it. How are we going to pay for anything like groceries or our house payment? And as we faced that challenge, we were working on staff at the bridge at the time. And I remember we just, Rachel and I had had a, a no fun conversation that day about how are we going to fix this. We had really gotten back after um, making sure our tithe was a priority and getting our finances in order and maintaining where we were at and really going after that. And as, I, as we began to prioritize that, we were facing a moment where we said, I don't know how we're going to get to it. I don't know how we're going to make it. See, there are these but then moments that happen in our lives. And those are not but God moments. The but then moments are no fun. But then we made bad choices and we ended up behind the A-ball. If we get things back in priority, you know what happens? There comes a but God moment. We love those moments. The problem is they tend to always follow a but then moment. But then we let things get out of hand. But then the doctor said, but then this or that happened. Then we cry out to God just like they did in the Old Testament. And I got tired of living on this cycle. Let's just be honest. I got tired of living on the merry-go-round of enough, not enough, enough, not enough. Because I hadn't found that God was my supply, not anyone that I worked for. That he was the one that made all the provision happen in my life. And that I was powerless to be able to make it happen. So as we hit that moment, here I am struggling through that. But we have prioritized God through our but-then moment. I've gone home for lunch one day. Rachel and I had had a, um, an intense moment of fellowship about some financial decisions we were making. And I go out to check the mail just before I leave. Again, we've prioritized our, our, our tithing at this juncture. We're facing down the barrel of, I don't know how we're getting through this. I open the mail, and there's a card from some friends we've not seen or heard from in a long time. And I open it up. Normally, I would, normally I would just throw it in there and wait until the end of the day, but I went ahead and I opened it up. And as I opened it up, opened the card up, out falls a check, right? Everybody's eyes are perking up now. I open it up, okay. We open up that envelope, and there inside was a check for $5,000. Now, we all have these moments, and we all, yes, we celebrated that moment. You know what? Rachel looked at me and said, what are we going to do with that? I said, we're going to take it to the bank. We're going to deposit that sucker, and we're going to get out of this mess that I've gotten us into. Notice I said, we're going to get out of what I, let's just be honest with where we're at, okay? So here I am, oh, I'm not, but God saved us again, right? So we had this uh, uh, but then moment, now we have a but God moment that's pulled us out of it. And we're sitting there going, thank 
God, you have seen us through yet again. And we have learned in our own lives that when we don't allow the devil a foothold in our finances, whether it's in the tithe or whether it's in the offering, it doesn't have a foothold in many other areas of our life either. You know, in our premarital counseling, what we tell all of these young families that we're working with, we tell them there are three main things that you're going to fight about. You're going to fight about past relationships, in-laws, outlaws, something. Second thing you're going to fight about is your sex life. It's a natural tendency. The third thing you're going to fight about is finances. Why are we afraid to talk about it so much in the church? I've sat with men in churches long for years. They'll talk about their issues of purity, whether it's pornography or, or their desire for um, an adulterous relationship because they're attracted to this other woman. But they would never, ever discuss their finances. I'm laying mine out there in front of you. Not because I've got it all together, but because you can't get it together until you get it on the table. And if we're going to talk about taking God at his word in our finances, I want to be transparent with you with where I'm at. See, in this but God moment, I've got to learn and continue to be faithful to the Lord in every area of my life, including in my, in my finances. I want to be faithful to God in, in the, his tithe and in our offering. You know, we made these, these mission pledges last week that we're going to see God's kingdom advance through our giving in this one area, very specifically for a short amount of time. And we made a, a ridiculous pledge. There's no way we can possibly fulfill that except God meets it. But we felt like this is what the Lord put on our heart to do. So we've got to learn to be faithful. The only time that the Bible says to test God in anything is when it comes to his faithfulness in our finances. Trust him in this. Give your tithe. Pay your tithe. Give it, return it to the Lord so that his blessing can overtake you. It's, it's what the Bible says. I'm not making it up. Again, it's one of those moments where we're talking about something that we're going to say, I don't understand why we're talking about this. Jesus didn't affirm. Yes, he did. We'll get to that in just a minute. Over and over in the New Testament, the tithe is affirmed. There's some things that they didn't need to repeat because it was expected that it was going to continue. And that was proven out in their everyday life. Not until currently in this era do we get to the point where we say, well, the tithe's not really something we have to do. The New Testament people practice it every single week. And we'll prove that to you in a little bit. The only time the Bible says to test him is when it comes to our finances. Put him to the test. Put him to it. If, if I'm going to use Kyle for instance. If Kyle came to me and said, Travis, I've got a million dollars that I'm going to give as matching funds to the church for every dollar that comes in we're going to match it up to a million dollars what do you think we ought to do give like crazy right because he's going to match it that'd be awesome wouldn't it now he's not told me that lord would you have no i'm just kidding his wife does work for a bank you never know i'm teasing i'm teasing if god said do this Test me in this. Why wouldn't we? Trust him. Put it out there. See what's going to happen. See what God can and will do through that. Now, I, one of the things I want to make sure everybody understands is that I, we do all of our giving online. You're not going to see us put an offering envelope in because we, we, we do it all online. It's just the way it works for us. Sorry, my nose itches. Apologize. Every Thursday and Friday or, or every other Thursday or Friday morning in my quiet time, I check the bank, make sure that they have... Uh, issued our, our pay, payroll, and then I go on and I, I 
put in my tithe. I go online through the church's online giving portal. Why? Because that's the way for us it works. We do everything online. If we didn't have to ever write a check, that would be just fine with me. So we don't, uh, as, as seldom as possible. So we do it that way. But we're faithful in that. We want to see God's best proven out in our lives. And I don't do that because I'm the pastor. I do that because I'm a Christian. And I want God's blessing in my life. I don't want to do anything in any way that's going to make God upset. I don't want to do anything in any way that's going to close off the heavens above so that God would say, I'm not going to be able to do that. But at the same time, I want to make sure that I present it in a way that we all understand we're all in this together. As a believer, I'm in this. This is the way God has, has called of me and what he has asked of me. And so today... I do, as I give, I give because I want to, I don't, I don't feel like I have to. I do it because I want to and because I want it to feel good to honor God and trust that he's going to cover me through everything that we do. And so today's message is entitled, Giving That Feels Good. We're going to look at the five motivations that people use when they're giving. We're going to talk about the, those five areas. There are a lot of reasons to give, but the reason we do things still matters to God. And in the Old Testament, God got really frustrated at people when they gave for the wrong reasons. He was always looking at our heart. So today, it's not like God needs our money, amen? Does God need your money? No. He's got streets of gold. He has a thousand on a cattle, uh, cattle on a thousand hill. He doesn't need what we can give to him, but what we need is what he can give to us. So we need to honor the Lord in that. So we're going to talk about five motivations for giving really quickly. The number one motivation, which is the very lowest level, is guilt. It's the have to give. I have to do it. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul encourages us to be cheerful givers. Cheerful. It says this in verse 7. It says, each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, the word there that's translated as cheerful is related uh, in, in our English language as hilarious. Laughter does good like a medicine, Amen. Sometimes you just need to watch something funny. Sometimes you just need a good laugh. God wants us to give so to the point where we're happy about it, not because we feel like we have to. We should not feel forced to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, as, as the older translations say, not under compulsion, not out of guilt. Guilt cannot be a biblical motivator, but it sure is used a lot. I don't want you to ever feel guilty, and so you give. There are strengths and weaknesses to every, give, every motivation for giving. Guilt can be effective at bringing in some money. Let's face it. I can guilt you into doing things. I don't want that to ever be my, my motivation of anyone that ever receives an offering on this platform. We do it because we want to do it. We should give because we desire to. The weakness of this, this motivation is it's actually unbiblical, and it brings no joy, and it doesn't help us at all to outgrow materialism. If you're guilted into it, guess what you do? You do it because you feel like you had to, not because you wanted to. I have a friend that was a car salesman for a while. He told me this story. He's there one day, and he's selling a car to this guy. And this fellow walks in, and he's got this truck all picked out, got it nailed down, and this guy's in the financing area, and the, and the, the, the guy who's buying the car looks at him and says, I don't know. You know, they have worked the deal down to where he has got, I mean, just getting a steal. You know, the guy at the car dealership is like, my, my friend is like, I don't know why he would even think this. But the guy literally looked at him and said, I don't know, I probably need to call my wife and make sure it's okay that I buy this truck. My, fr my friend Matt looked back at him and said, well, that's fine, but let me call my wife first and see if I can sell it to you. <laughs> I 
I bet maybe I better ask for permission from my wife before I do anything either because I don't wear the pants in my family either. Apparently you don't, you, you're, you don't as well. And so let's make sure our wives say that it's okay for us to do this. The guy signed on the dotted line right then, didn't even pick up the phone. Guilted him into it. Guilt's a terrible motivator, right? We shouldn't give out of that. Materialism thrives in guilt. We've got to put, a, put that out away from us. The second motivation is responsibility. It's the second lowest form of giving, of motivation for giving. And it's the ought to. I ought to give. We're instructed in 2 Corinthians 8, 7 to excel in giving. Excel, just as in faith and speech. Now, we could have sermons all day long about we've got to uh, excel in our faith. We've got to have now faith, which was one of my favorite messages that the Lord has ever given me a few weeks ago. We've got to grow in our faith. We've got to excel in our, our charity. We've got to excel in everything. But the Bible says here, and in this passage in chapter 8, and we're going to look more at, at several verses here in a second, he's talking about we should give because we want to and give because we, it feels good. And he says, now as you excel in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this grace, and the grace he's talking about is the grace to give. This passage implies a level of responsibility in our giving. Studies on congregational giving indicate that 20% of the members give 80% of the funds. 20% of the people give 80% of the funds. 30% give 20%, and approximately 50% of the church give nothing at all. Now, let me interject here. I don't look at how much any of you give. I have no idea. I don't want to know. When we make any kind of leadership decision to find out if somebody should be a, a children's worker or anything like that, we ask, uh, we've begun asking for a record check. Do they have a giving record? Is there any faithfulness in what they do? If they're not faithful in this, they're not going to be faithful to the leadership that God's placed over them. So we've got to be faithful in that. But let's face it, the bio, the, these statistics show that 80% of the giving comes from 20%. Imagine what would happen if we would all just give 10%. If 100% of the church would give just 10%. Just, just 10%. Imagine what we could do in the world today through missions. Imagine how many ministry needs would be met, all because we just simply honored the Lord with his, I'm not even talking about offerings. I'm talking about what God puts in us to return to him, the 10%. The strength of this type of giving is because money's given for ministry, this approach feels better than the guilty motivation. We learn responsibility, which is a healthy character trait, but when we give solely out of responsibility, it limits the joy and it limits the amount we are willing to give considerably because it's only when we choose that that's something we want to give to and we feel like I've done my part. The lowest level is guilt. The second lowest level is responsibility. But the third lowest, the next one up, is needs or the want to in giving. See, God wants us to be concerned about meeting needs. We all, we all felt that. Last week, probably there were some of you that this is the reason you made the pledge you did. Because there was a need presented. We presented it in such a way that we could understand the why behind what we were asking and telling you about. And so we have the want to. I want to be involved with that. And that's a wonderful thing. God wants us to be concerned about meeting needs. And in 2 Corinthians 8, 13 through 15, it says this. It says, it is not that there may be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need. So their abundance may also become available for our need. So there may be equality. As it has been written, the person who gathered much did not have too much, and the person who gathered little did not have too little. 
What Paul's saying here is that there's an importance of letting the church know about financial concerns and giving opportunities. It's why we did what we did last week. Knowing about these needs kindles a desire to provide the resources to see it happen. The Bible says that there are those of you that are are gifted in the area of giving. It's one of the the gifts, gifts that are listed in Romans. The gift of giving. People have that, and they love to do it. Not all of us are gifted with that. Rachel wishes that I didn't have that gift a little bit so much, and that's not a braggadocious thing. I'd give away the house. You, uh, you, want, you can have it. If I had it paid for and somebody else needed it, we would give it away. We don't, we don't, don't sell it, just give it away. We don't need, just, just give it. If somebody else needs it. If they can use it, give it. Knowing that there's a need, it provides an opportunity for us to be that resource, and we enjoy that. We want, to, we want someone to share with us. If we were in need, I would want somebody to say, hey, Travis, I want to help you with that. Let me be a part of that. The strengths and weaknesses of this are pretty apparent. The strengths are that if we give, giving to satisfy needs feels good. I like it when I'm able to meet a need. This kind of giving brings a cheerful heart and doesn't rely on compulsion to force us to give reluctantly. There's no, no hidden motivation there. This motivation touches our heartstrings and encourages us to learn the discipline of sacrificial giving. I have no problem with giving above and beyond what I want to because I want to be a part of it. I have a desire for that. But the weakness in this is that some people don't approve or see the need. And so they will ignore the request even though the need is present. Yeah, the church has ongoing efforts. We do. We have mission commitments around the world that we fulfill on a weekly basis. And we write those checks, sometimes not knowing whether or not there's enough money in the bank to cover them, but we write those checks. And God has never, ever, ever failed to meet that need. The fourth motivation is Thanksgiving, and this is where it starts to get fun. When we start talking about Thanksgiving, it's the, I can't help it. I want to get I just can't help to do it, right? Paul indicates that it's good for a church to meet the needs of God's people. Now, there have been several in our church family throughout the years that have come and said, hey, I am in a bind. I am in a struggle. We have lost our job. We're behind on our rent. We're behind on this or that. And we've been able to help with that. Not because the church has all this money, but because we've taken that desire. Now, every single day, we get a call from the people in the community saying, hey, do you guys help with, and we're unable to to meet many of those needs, if any at all, because we take care of our church family. That's the way that it's supposed to work. Giving is a way of thanking and praising God for all that he's done in our life. So when we give, just know that there are times that you're blessing the person sitting next to you. You may never know it, but we may have paid their rent or their electric bill, or we may have helped them in some other way. You never know what God may have been using your gifts to do in your own church family's life. The church's actions stir the recipient to thank and praise God too as we get involved behind that. The strength behind this type of giving is that we give out of thanksgiving, and that feels good. We like to feel good when we give, don't we? I don't want to give to somebody because they guilted me into it. I have sat with missionaries, and they put this amazing guilt trip on you, and you're like, man, I really need to give you some money, so you'll leave me alone. I don't like that. I want to give to somebody because they got something good going on, you know what I'm saying? When we, when we talk about what's happening in the ministries here and we talk about Fall Fest and we talk about all the other opportunities coming up, the Christmas basket outreach or seasons of change, the new stuff that's taking place, man, it's exciting to see what God is doing. And when we give, it's exciting to think that we're having a part in making a difference in our community. I do it out of Thanksgiving. I thank God we have the opportunity to do this. 
This type of giving points our heart towards God's direction because we have a tangible way of showing our thanks to him. And that's what we do as we give. It's unselfish, and it gives, this type of giving encourages others to focus on God's activity as well. I don't see anything wrong with this type of motivation for giving. There's no weakness here because this motivation is only limited by our perception of thanksgiving. If we're unaware of God's blessings in our life, how can we return thanks to him? That's why the old, old hymn, count your blessings one by one, right? We all, many of you will remember that old song, count your blessings and name them one by one. Count your many blessings and see what God has done. As we think back through what God's done, don't be like the nine lepers who left and, and didn't come back to thank Jesus for their healing. In Luke 17, 17, Jesus said, were there not 10 who were cleansed? Where are the other nine? One came back and said, thank you. And he said, where did everybody else go? We should count our blessings. We should remember what God has done for us and say thank you. And so thankful giving is a good thing. The fifth motivation, though, is the best one, and it's an act of worship where we say it's my nature. It's my nature to give. It's my nature to do this. In 2 Corinthians 8.5, Paul uses the Christians in Macedonia as examples to the church in Corinth by pointing out a unique quality of their giving. It says, and not just as we had hoped, Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord and then to us by God's will. The Macedonian church did two things. They gave, first of all, to the Lord. So their financial decisions flowed out of their relationship with the Father. That's the best thing. I just had a discussion with a friend of mine who's a pastor even this morning. And one of the phrases that came up again and again in our lives is, there's nothing more frustrating than a half-full Christian trying to overflow. It's so frustrating when we want to have God's blessing overflowing in our life and we're half full. There's nothing more frustrating, right? We want to come in and worship God, but our hands are unclean. We want to come in and give everything we've got, and yet we have given away so much of our resources that paying our tithe at the end of the month is so difficult. We've got to put that at the very first and honor God first, trusting him to redeem it and bring and cover the rest of it. Paul says here they gave themselves first to God and then secondly their financial decisions flowed out of that. When it's our nature to give to God, giving becomes an act of worship. I want God to have everything I've got. I want him to have everything, not just the tenth. It's all his to begin with. I'm grateful he allows me to do something with the 90%. It's a drastic difference and I have to give 10 versus look what I get is the 90%. Whole different ball game. This is where God's dealing with me at. Is where we, we get to this act of worship, it, it becomes something bigger than that. Because then giving becomes a confession of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 9.13 says, They will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel and for your generosity in sharing with them and with others through the proof provided by the service. So in other words, we prove it out. We prove it. I have proved that God is first and foremost in my life when I return his tithe to him. Giving is an act of trust. The second thing it says, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says, Instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant or set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves good treasure, uh, good reserve for the age to come, so that they may take hold of life that is real. It's a way for us to keep focused on what's ahead. Because thirdly, giving is an offering to God. Philippians 4.8, 
But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. There are only strengths in this motivation of giving, though. When we're motivated to wor- out of worship, because it's the highest possible motivation. It creates a true commitment. It pleases God. It allows much work to be done to advance the kingdom of God, and it feels good too. I don't want giving to ever be something that I begrudge. Nothing, oh, I can't do that. I always want it to be something that I'm like, look what God has done again. Look what God provided this week. He didn't have to, but he did. He did. There's no weaknesses in this giving. The devil can't steal your joy in the Lord or stop your work for Christ if giving is out of an act of worship. It's important not to settle for anything less than God's very best in every area of our life, especially in the area of giving. See, as we grow upward in this motivational game plan of doing it God's way and and giving becoming something out of worship, our joy is going to soar. Our efforts for the kingdom are going to expand dramatically. Why? Because more resources means more opportunities and what God can do in and through us. See, the only way for us to have the life that Christ intends for us to have is to live in obedience to him. That's true in everything. The old song says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Now, in our family, we sing it, listen and obey. You better listen to what daddy says and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Team Jenkins than to listen and obey. But trusting and obeying God is what matters. Trust his word. Take him at his word. If you've not been disciplined with your, if you've not put him first, if this is an area that, like me, for so many years you struggle in, that I struggled in, I want God's blessing in your life. I want your blessings to overflow. But it starts with trusting and obeying. That's true in our finances. It's true in our family. It's true in our relationships. It's true in everything. The only reason that we can trust and obey that he'll do this is because Jesus set that pattern for us when he trusted the Father and obeyed his command to take up the cross and to be the sacrifice. And in just a few moments, we're going to receive communion. But before we do, with every head bowed and every eye closed, perhaps you're here and you would say, you know what, Pastor Travis, my heart is not right with the Lord. I have allowed sin in my life. And today, I want to commit my life to Jesus, maybe for the very first time, or maybe I've allowed sin and it is separating me from God, and I want to make my relationship with him right. Would you slip up a hand if that's you? If today you need to come back to the Lord, okay? Anybody else? Anybody else? All right. Perhaps you're here and you would say this, though. Maybe your life is out of order and you're kind of all over the place in every area of your life. And today, you want to start by getting that back in order. If that's you, you're just, life is out of whack. It's out of order. Would you lift up a hand? Today, you want to get it back right in right perspective? Okay. Here's the last question that I have for you. If you need God's blessing in your life and your finances, it starts by giving in a way that feels good as an act of worship, not out of guilt, but that begins by getting things in the right perspective. So if you raised your hand or you should have, I'd like for all of us as a church family to repeat this prayer. Father, today... I ask that you would help me. I ask that you would forgive my sin. I ask that you would forgive my lack of trust. 
I ask that you would forgive every area of my life that's not pleasing to you. I pray that you would help me today to trust and obey so that I can give not just money to the church, but so that I can give whatever you ask of me to anyone you ask me to as an act of worship and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.